You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey guys, what's going on? As always, Connor Somerville joined by Drew and Josh. And this week, we have a special guest. She is a former member of the New Jersey Devils hockey team, former member of the Sudbury Wolves. She has done consulting work for numerous other professional sports organizations, is a diehard FC Bayern fan, Toronto FC fan, and a season seat holder. Ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Dory. Rachel, how are you doing? Good. This is a nice break from writing a thesis paper. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Yes, we're keeping it very brief because you have to continue doing that. This is actually, I think, the first time we've ever talked voice to voice, ironically. Um, but yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah. So we've known each other for around 18 months ish. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, we put out a call to like produce my podcast. Yes. And I was looking through, I was like, this guy seems like he knows what he's doing. So now that you produce my podcast. The fact that you didn't fire me in the first few months is kind of surprising, but I'll take it. And I'm happy to be here. Listen, you prevented (laughs) me from getting sued. That is true. Um, Because sports organizations involve NDAs, ladies and gentlemen. But if you want to hear about her New Jersey Devil stuff and all the surrounding hockey opinions she has go and check out the staff and graph podcast they put out an episode as we're recording this yesterday this podcast is going to go up saturday morning before the mls cup final but i should probably ask because i've ignored you two for the first minute and a half josh and drew how are you boys doing this week i'm doing pretty good um let me think finals are going on i have my last final is in like a week but then after that, I'm done. Semester is over, so that's good. Um, I'm trying to think of how my sports teams did. Get, watching MLS as a neutral is so much fun now that Atlanta is not contending anymore, so that's cool. Um, how else? Falcons lost to the Aints again, so that's really disappointing. Um, yeah, I've watched a lot of basketball recently, like college basketball, so that's cool. Hawks preseason starts tomorrow, so maybe the Hawks will be exciting again, so that's cool. So I'm looking forward to basketball. Um, but besides that, knocking out the end of the semester, so it's fun, and we'll make through. I got to watch the men's national team yesterday, kind of dominate El Salvador, which we'll for sure talk about more. Um, but yeah, I'm doing pretty good hanging in there. Josh, how's it going with you? It's going, it's going all right. I, it's weird. We're, we're recording this on a Thursday. We normally record on a Monday, and so it's been like ten days since we we've last spoken in this setting, and so like. I'm like, man, there's so much that's happened in the last 10 days. And I'm like, nothing's happened in the last 10 days. But I played some golf this morning. That was a lot of fun. And then, like Drew, Falcons lost this weekend. Watching MLS Cup playoffs has been an enjoyable experience because we have no stake in the game. So, yeah, nothing nothing much happening, though. The joys of living in a warm climate. Yeah. Exactly. I shoveled the driveway this morning. <laughs> yeah, no, today was today was beautiful. I think it got up to 65 Fahrenheit and uh yeah, it was it was good. I could see my breath for like the first 3 holes, but then like halfway through the game I was like taking off my pullover and I was down to short sleeves. So and I haven't left my house in 2 weeks. Um but we can talk about that later with just you two uh because we should talk about soccer because that's why we brought Rachel on uh to talk 
everything Toronto FC because she knows quite a bit about them and Bayern Munich because all she does is cry and both tears of joy and happiness whenever they play. Um, But let's start off with the Bayern stuff because I do want to jump into the TFC in a second. Alfonso Davies finally made his return from injury after hurting his ankle. He played 69 minutes against Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, I thought he looked really good considering he hadn't played in the first few months. What did all of you think? We'll start with you, Rachel. Um, I did not, from based on all of the intel that I got, I did not think he was going to start. Um, but then you have some things happen, and you lose Martinez, and, and, and Davy starts. And uh, I thought that he was pretty well up to pace. Um, what I'll say is, is Bayern is very good at not throwing guys into the lineup unless they are beyond 100%. Um, it's going to be the same with Joshua Kimmich. Um, he's already ready and they're like, nah, you can wait another week. Um, but I thought Davies, like he was up to speed. Um, he defended well. Uh, he was clearly, um, ripping apart the D in terms of creating, um, opportunities for guys like Muller and Chupa Moting. Um, I shudder to think what the score would have been had uh, Robert Lewandowski been playing because he probably would have finished a few more of those opportunities. So I was, I was pretty impressed and I was happy that uh, he only played 70 because there's no need to, uh, to run a guy out there for 90 in his first game back. Very, very true. Did either of you two watch that game? I caught, I caught some uh, bits and pieces of it just from watching that, uh, the Golasso show, but One uh, statistic that I saw that really jumped out to me was talking about how Davies completed more take-ons versus Moscow than any player has managed in a single Champions League game this season. So that alone was really impressive. He attempted 13 of them and completed 11 of them. And and I didn't see much of the game, but there was one uh, one snippet when they shifted over and I saw Davies just tearing through people. So he seems to be back to his usual self already. When doesn't he do that is probably the better question. Uh, At Barca. <laughs> yeah, very, very true. And they are... They suck. Yeah. They're terrible. They're very bad. Uh, and I don't know why Sergino Dest chose Barcelona over Bayern Munich, but he's sort of succeeding there, I guess. I don't know. Uh, his decision... I'm sure he'll come to regret it once Messi leaves for Manchester United or City, Manchester City, to then come to MLS because that is my dream. But other news with Alfonso Davies, he won the Lou Marsh kind of, yes, he drew for it. Uh, You two have no idea what the Lou Marsh is. And speaking of Drew and Josh, you're giving me a face like you know know exactly what it is. Tell me you knew what it is. It's the award given to the uh, one of the best. Is it the best male Canadian athlete, or is it just best Canadian athlete overall? Just the best Canadian athlete. Okay, because I know I know it was Davies who won in the guard for um, uh, Kansas City, and I know Jamal Murray's name was thrown around a little bit for the award. So I know I know what the award is. Come on, Connor, I, I keep up. Uh, okay, you'll I'll pretend like you knew, um, but yeah, he. Drew with, as you just mentioned, Laurent Duvernay Tardif, who is a full medical doctor after getting his uh, MD from McGill, which I assume both of you have heard of McGill because everybody has. Um, it's the Yale of Canada. Yes. Like. It's 
extremely difficult. And the fact that he got an MD while playing football is insane. Um, but did obviously, Rachel, you talked about this a little bit on the Staff and Graph podcast, so we won't focus on this a ton. Um, but quickly, did you actually think that Davies should have won it? Or do you think that, like, outright? Or do you think that it was fair that they sort of split it? I think he should have won it outright. Um, the definition of the award is athletic achievement. Um, and if you look at, you compare the two of them, Alfonso Davies won more trophies this year than Duvernay Tardif played games, um, which I feel like is pretty substantial. But given the fact that Canada doesn't have an athletic uh, or a humanitarian award for an athlete, um, I thought that it was appropriate that they split it because not recognizing Laurent Duvernay Tardif for what he did uh, would have been unacceptable. Um, and like I said, it was a golden opportunity to create an award um, to recognize humanitarian efforts by athletes. And I think that that's something that should be encouraged. But as far as athletic achievement is concerned, Davies won. Davies was the best Canadian athlete this year on field, like in the surface of play. And it, it wasn't even close. I can't disagree with that. Although for some reason, somebody did in terms of voting for I don't know if that ever came out who it was but I assume it was Jamal Murray it was probably Steve Simmons you know you're probably not wrong uh but would he really vote for Jamal Murray that is the question yes (laughs) all right (laughs) well he wasn't it's it's Steve Simmons Connor that's very very true you two have do either of of Josh or Drew know who Steve Simmons is no clue no that's a distinctly Canadian thing he's okay Imagine Stephen A. Smith, but without a brain. Oh man! And and he's just a rude. Uh, sounds like, like Skip Bayless. Yes. Yes. Although, I, borderline worse. Oh, that's horrible. Oh. But yes. no ethics. Ooh. He's the guy who exposed the fact that Matthews had COVID over the summer when he didn't want it exposed. So. Just a casual HIPAA violation. <laughs> yep. Um, but let's stop talking about Steve Simmons because nobody outside of Toronto or Canada understands who that is. And for some reason, most of our audience is American, which considering most of MLS are American makes sense. Although we get like 12 downloads, but let's talk about some other award winners because Davies wasn't the only Canadian asterisk next to that, uh, who won an award because Justin Morrow is technically American and Alejandro Pazuelo is Spanish, but Morrow won the Humanitarian of the Year award in MLS. Not surprising, in my opinion. I assume all of you don't disagree. Yeah, there's no argument for me. I, I actually would have been very disappointed had he not won it. Yeah, I think we all three of us picked Morrow in our little awards pick segment, correct? I don't think we did one for this award. I'm pretty sure we did. Because he founded the Black Players Coalition, right? Because the coalition itself won the award. Right, but, but he was kind of recognized as like the face of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess if he had to give it to one individual, Moro makes the most sense. Yes. So yeah, no argument. That's, yeah, if anyone's going to get the award, if one person gets the award, I think Moro is more than justified for getting that. Fully agreed. And we'll talk a little bit about Moro in a second. Um, but first, we should touch on Pozuelo, who won the Landon Donovan MLS MVP award. Because for some reason, they need to throw in their name in there. Um, yeah, just call it the MVP award. Yeah. but Like, I don't know, look, it's dumb. I get recognizing Landon Donovan because he was very good. But 
why do you have your own league name in there? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, that's dumb. Like, I don't know. He's the second TFC player to win it after Seba Giovinco, who Rachel adores um, in 2015. So I want your thoughts on this and Pazuelo finally sharing the award with Giovinco. What are your Um, thoughts? Yeah, so I would say this, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love Alejandro Pozuelo. I think he's fantastic. No one is ever going, unless like Leon Goretzka or some player of that ilk comes in place for TFC. No one's overtaking Seba as my favorite player. Um, Just the joy that he brought to the game. But with regards to Pozuelo, I mean, for me watching, I didn't miss a single TFC game. Um, And I haven't missed a home game since I've been home from New Jersey. Um, He is he's special in this league. Um, he, the way he can create opportunities, if TFC had a consistent player up top, I think the chemistry would be obnoxious. Um, but just how he handles himself. Um, I think the Panenkas are kind of a bonus, but he's got that flair and that's something that I think MLS needs. Um, if they want to grow the game, it's got to have an entertainment factor to it. There's got to be players like, Having Ibrahimovic here was fantastic because it, it brought that attention. But Pozuelo, in terms of like his contribution to TFC, both on and off the field, like I don't really think it can be argued. He created the most chances. He had the most game-winning goals in the entire league. He had basically the same amount of goals and assists. And he started every game for TFC. And so, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to argue his impact. And when he scored or had an assist like TFC was nine, one and four. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know. I, based on their injuries this year, I don't even want to know what that team looks like without him. That's my biggest argument in terms of this was if Toronto were missing Alejandro Pozuelo, I don't know if they would have even made the playoffs because no, like Piatti missed a good chunk of time. Josie, if you got 30 minutes out of him, it was a miracle. Uh, and I've made my feelings on him very apparent in the past. Um, Io, he picked up that injury, which was tough. And we'll talk a little bit about more. Talk a little bit more about him in a second. Um, I'm so mad that he got capped for the U.S. I wanted him to play for Canada. He's not cap tied. He can oh, still play for Canada. Oh, he's not cap tied. No. Oh, that's the big thing. Although from everything I've seen in terms of his posts on he's social media, he's an American. Um, yeah, he's going to get cap tied. <laughs> but Sam Skechel, I hate saying his name. Sam from The Athletic put out an article today uh, with his sort of depth chart of the U.S. And in terms of the U.S. strikers, he had Iowa at like fifth on the depth chart. So, Well, yeah, you've got like what, Weston McKinney and Josh Sargent. I'm just talking about and... it's striker. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. He's, so. He put him behind Josie, um, Gio Ciccini. Nope. um Zardes, obviously. Sargent, obviously. And I think he was in at fifth. He might have been sixth. Uh, but you should go and check that article out because it was a pretty good uh, idea of where he sort of thought everybody laid. What's out. interesting is like if Io played for Canada, like he would probably be the starting number, like the starting striker. Whereas in the US, like they could play a comfortable 4 3 3 with like Reyna and probably. McKinney somewhere 
at the like in the holding mid, um, but have him more like attack. And and Io probably wouldn't see time because Io's not gonna play again ahead of Josh Sargent, Gio Reyna, like any of those guys. It's just I don't know. Like I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. That's been my mar- my argument the entire time, and I'm sure the two Americans hate us talking about this, uh, arguing why he shouldn't be playing for the U.S. But yeah. But guys, are we wrong? Like, if if Io started over Josh Sargent, would you not be really annoyed? Personally, I don't really care because all the like really good. Well, just because all the really good striker options we have right now are super young, and anything could happen in the less in the next six months, let alone the next couple of years before we get to a World Cup. So that that doesn't really bother me. I've already accepted that Akinola is going to be a Canadian player. So <laughs> it's this doesn't bother me very much. I I don't think he's going to come to the U.S. I don't really see. I I just don't see it happening because he came through the Canadian youth setup. So I'm not I'm not really stressing about him joining the U.S. If he does, for me personally, great. But my expectations have been lowered, and I've just accepted that he's going to play for the Canadian national team. True. Yeah, I I mean I guess I'm kind of on the same boat as Josh. Like, there's just so many other pieces that I'm focusing on right now. Like Io Akinola. I mean, he's a phenomenal player, right? He's going to be exciting. But there's so many other players that like my attention is at and. I read an article by Paul Tenorio, I think he wrote it from The Athletic, who said that Akinola and Davies have the same agent. Which they do. I don't know. Yeah, so maybe... They are also friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's an interesting dynamic, right? He's going to get a lot more playing time with arguably the best left back in the world versus not seeing the field as much on a team with a lot more young, really promising pieces. So I think I'm accepting that he's Canadian just because I have no optimism when it comes to sports. Are you a um, fan? Like, but <laughs> are you a Toronto Maple Leafs fan? Up? Is this where the lack of optimism is coming from? No, I'm a Vancouver Canucks fan. If we're talking oh, okay. hockey, all right, fair enough. Yeah, I don't know if that gets nope. you canceled in well, the TFC hockey. Judd world. Brackett's not there anymore, so. <laughs> I bet you you don't even know who that is, do you? <laughs> no, I like. Hockey is like, I'm still getting into it, but no, the Atlanta sports knocks out my sports optimism. 28-3, 3-1, the Hawks <laughs> being the Hawks. I have no sports optimism. So I'm accepting that he's Canadian. But again, there's a lot of other f- pieces I'm focusing on for the U.S. So he hasn't fully entered my realm yet. That's why we fit so well together is we're so used to the pain of our sports team sucking. Uh, so we can all be depressed together. Um, but let's be depressed about something else for a second. Uh, <laughs> Greg Vanny. Decided to step down as the Toronto FC manager. We haven't done a podcast since this happened. Rachel, I know, is quite upset about this. My thoughts have been pretty obvious in the past. I've liked him as a manager, but I don't like his tactical decisions uh, in terms of his substitutes because they suck. And every time he brought somebody on, it always went downhill, especially when it was Eric Zavaleta and Warren Simon. But Rachel, I want to get some of your thoughts on... Greg I never want to hear the name Eric Zavaleta again. What are you going to do when they I, re-sign him? No, he's Greg's nephew. He's not going to get re-signed. I will die on this hill. I, I'm okay with Laurent Simon coming back because of his presence in the locker room. And like, he's still manageable. If I have to watch Eric Zavaleta play for Toronto FC ever again, I might have a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, you're not alone in that boat. Um, <laughs> Everyone in the South End at BMO Field, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
one of the things that I thought was funny was he said that it was a family decision. So my mind immediately jumped to him leaving because they weren't re-signing Eric Zavaleta. But I highly doubt that's the case. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, Greg, obviously, like, first of all, I am obviously very disappointed by this. Um, I love Greg Vanny. I think that he will probably go down as the greatest manager in Toronto FC history, just based on the fact that when he showed up, uh, the team was, uh, to put it kindly, uh, struggling. Um, and he's essentially turned them into the second best dynasty of the past five years behind Seattle, um, who somehow is also potentially going to lose their coach. But I think like with Greg Vanny, you have, he very clearly wants to play one way. And um, he's actually publicly said that he wanted to play a four, three, three, but having a DP like Josie, you can't play a four, three, three with Josie because that just doesn't work. Um, So I think he was kind of hand tied and Josie was re-signed last year. So that was kind of a signal to Greg, like, Hey, you're not going to get your four, three, three. And I think that he kind of, had to work around that even though tactically he felt the team was best suited for a four, three, three. And quite frankly, I agree with him. Um, but I don't think he did a good enough job of playing the kids. So like, to me, there was no reason this year that Patrick Mullins needed to play over Jaden Nelson or Jaquil Marshall Ruddy, who's being scouted by the likes of Bayern Munich and Barcelona and Liverpool. Um, cause I can tell you for free that Patrick Mullins is not going to any of those teams. <laughs> um, I just, I'm disappointed that Greg's leaving. Um, it, it leaves a huge hole, um, in how TFC does things off the pitch as well. And I don't think that can be overlooked. Um, and it also, it says a lot. If you go to the TFC players, social medias, very rarely do you see them with outward praise and appreciation for a former coach and to a man all of the big club all of the big players at the club had nothing but great things to say about him and so I think that speaks volumes of of what he means to the organization and I'll say this there better be a standing ovation for him when he returns and I never want to hear Vanny out ever again well he's already out so you don't have to Um, exactly but do you think that LA Galaxy is his next destination Yes. Yes. Okay. You um like I would put ten grand on that. Wow. Yeah. That's and then bomb. I think he gets I think he gets looked at for the Canadian national team head coaching position in twenty twenty six. Really? Yes. You think? Well, what do you think is going to happen to Herdman? Uh I just I think every coach has a shelf life, and Herdman will have been with Canada Soccer for like twelve or thirteen years at that point. Um, and I think heading into a world cup, um, they're going to want potentially a different voice with younger players or different players. Um, and I think that they might take a run at him. I'm not saying that like, I agree with it, but I think he's going to get some consideration if Canada can't get a bigger name coaching them. Because at that point in 2026, you're going to have Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, uh, Jaquil Marshall Ruddy will be playing. Jaden Nelson will be playing. Um, Io Akinola might be playing. Io might be playing. Like, you're going to have some familiar faces there. Oso, probably, mm-hmm. maybe. 
Um, so there's going to be some familiarity there. Like, why wouldn't you take a run at him? Even the connection to Mark Anthony Kay in terms of him using past working in the academy. I don't know if he was there at the yeah. same time as Kay, but there is definitely York that University connection. University alumni. Yes, York University, your alma mater. Uh, it's a very interesting situation. And I, I want to ask you this because we don't have much time left, but who do you think is the Toronto FC replacement? Obviously, some names that have been thrown out there. Ben Olsen, uh, a guy named... Oh, God, no. Yeah, Paolo Souza, who used to manage Atalanta, I believe, has had his name out there. Patrick Vieira is reportedly being interviewed in the next 72 hours. Same with Laurent Blanc. Um, yep. Uh, I think... So I'll say this. Money is no issue with TFC. Um, they're owned by telcos, which have unlimited money in this country. Um, and Larry Tannenbaum, who also basically has unlimited money. I think that TFC will likely end up with one of Patrick Vieira or Laurent Blanc. Um, all, maybe Paulo Sosa. Um, if they don't get any of those, I could see them taking a run at somebody who manages a U23 squad for the likes of Bayern, Liverpool, uh, a big club in Europe. I could see them taking a run at, at, at the manager who runs their U23 or their U19s um, just because of that experience. But they're, they're going to want a name. Um, TFC is a big MLS club um, with no shortage of money and they've put themselves on the map. And so I think getting a manager that, that has some clout, like a Patrick Vieira, who will do well with talent, will also help them recruit that designated player. And I think the designated player is going to be extremely key for TFC going forward. If you had to guess, and I, it's very early, so I don't know if you can necessarily say who your best guess would be. What type of player do you think Toronto are going to recruit? Do you think it's going to be a young player? Or is it going to be another more experienced veteran from Europe? It's going to be a younger player from Europe who isn't necessarily getting opportunity. Okay, that's very interesting. So Toronto yeah. FC fans have your head start turning as to who that might be. Uh, I would be absolutely flabbergasted if it was an older player unless it is a massive, massive name. Thomas Miller? Uh, he is going to retire at Bayern. That I, I could basically set that in stone for you. Um, I'm actually trying to convince my friend who plays in Europe to come here, but he makes uh, far too much money to be playing for MLS. All right. That is a very interesting proposition. And I want to get one name, one name. And that is if you were hiring the manager for Toronto FC, who do you hire? And does it include a name that maybe not be in current consideration and I'll ask you the same thing for Atlanta because they're currently looking for a new manager. Uh, okay, well, if I was picking my manager handpicked and I could have anyone in the world? Available. Oh, I was going to say because I'd be picking Jurgen Klopp. Yes. <laughs> um, um, I think for TFC, I think Patrick Vieira is probably the best available pick for them. Um because I think he's proven that he can coach with talent uh, relative to the league. And I mean, 
TFC has an MVP. So like, there's clearly no shortage of that. Um, so I think Patrick Vieira probably is, is the best option um, that's being discussed. But to me, um, I think that the legitimate best option is probably what I mentioned before, which is a guy that's managing a U23 team for a big club in Europe. All right. And Atlanta, because I want to tie Josh and Drew in at the very end so that they, we have a little bit of something to talk about after we take a quick break because we're almost out of time or we're pretty much out of time. Who would you hire for Atlanta and would it be Maurizio Pochettino? See, that Pochettino is an interesting name because someone asked me if TFC would look at Pochettino. And I don't think he's a fit in Toronto, um, just based on how Toronto does things and the culture that they've worked to build. I don't think that Pochettino is a fit. Um, Atlanta is still in relative infancy uh, compared to other teams. And so I think bringing in, very similar to like bringing in Greg Vanny, I think that bringing in Pochettino, who is a big name, um, could help build the foundation within Atlanta United because they've had their issues, whether it be with Almiron or Ezekiel Barco, like there have been issues there. So I think having that strong name um, could help them build that culture and help Atlanta take, take those next steps. However, I will say this, if Seattle does not re-sign Brian Schmetzer, Atlanta should offer him the sun and the moon. Josh, your face is amazing, and we'll talk about this in a second. But Rachel, I want to thank you so much for coming on. We will have you on again in the future to talk more about maybe your past uh, working with MLSE and other stuff and get your thoughts on Germany and all the other soccer world because you're a huge diehard soccer fan and you need to start a soccer podcast. Um, But thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, Check out all of her stuff, the Staff and Graph podcast, um, some of her other writing work that she might publish, everything and anything that has to do with Rachel. Check it out. I'll link her Twitter down below. Uh, But Rachel, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, and we took a little break there. I'm trying out the mid-rolls on Omni, so apologies if you got a little ad. Uh, It's just sort of trying to learn the program and continue to improve this podcast through the different means that we have. But I wanted to circle back to some stuff that Rachel said because I think that she dropped a couple pretty big bombs um, in terms of Toronto News and her thoughts on Atlanta specifically. And we haven't heard much from you too because it was sort of the Rachel and Connor chat for half an hour. Um, But what did you think about her thoughts on Pochettino being a potential fit? at Atlanta I was interested in it again I may have said this while she was on here I think I'm kind of sold on Gabriel Hines coming in as a manager that seems to be the first and really the only name Josh maybe correct me if I'm wrong that I've seen connected with the job and it kind of feels like that took a while just to have any name connected at all so to have this name pop up now and you're having pretty trusted outlets saying that I think the first thing I saw, he was one step away from becoming a manager. I saw something today where it was 95% done that he was going to come to Atlanta. So my only, my question, I think she misspoke, but she was talking about some issues Atlanta's had. And she mentioned Miguel Amaron's name, which I think she meant to say Pity Martinez, because I thought the Amaron transfer, it was as flawless as you could possibly imagine winning MLS Cup and getting to the Premier League. So, but besides that. Unless 
maybe she knows something behind the scenes that we don't know. I mean, he got a championship, and he's in the Premier League, and Atlanta made a ton of money off that transfer. So We knew nothing about David Villa's issues until this year. That's so true. I guess it's feasibly possible. Maybe. I, unlikely, but possible. But I, think she, I think she meant to say Pity Martinez, but beside that, yeah. I think... Hines is the guy I'm sold on. Pochettino, I think we talked about him before when that first got open, given Josh his love for Tottenham. Uh, again, I mean, create like Tata Martino, that sounded bonkers when it happened and for an expansion side. So I'm sold on Hines. Maybe Pochettino comes, but I'm sold on Hines is going to be the guy. Yeah, I believe that was the. We talked about that with Manuel Fate, correct? A little bit, because that was right after DeBoer was fired. Yeah, yeah. Josh, what are your th- sort of thoughts on her opinions about who Atlanta should bring in? I mean, yeah, I think Pochettino is like the best possible candidate because he's a Marcelo Bielsa disciple, and that's exactly what fans loved so much about Tata and the way his teams played in the two years he was here. That being said, Gabriel Hines is also a Bielsa disciple, so... I it's going to be weird to say this, but I'm not sure there's much difference between Pochettino or Hines when it comes to a coach for Atlanta United. Obviously, Pochettino's name is a million times bigger, and I'm sure he'll be linked with every single job that opens up around the world until he finally gets a job. But I think I'm, I'm with Drew. I mean, having Gabriel Hines, I'm pretty set on him. He was my ideal candidate as soon as they announced the uh, firing of DeBoer. So um, hopefully that's who they end up hiring. That'd be really exciting. It would be very interesting. And that sort of situation is very interesting as you watch it develop because they're not the only team with a major coach opening, as we talked about with Toronto FC and DC United also have an opening. Um, Seattle could potentially soon have an opening. Let's talk a bit more about the Toronto stuff and some of her thoughts of my opinion is I think that they should hire Patrick Vieira. Do you guys think they should go with Vieira or do you think they should go with Blanc? I have a whole lot of opinions on it, except I think there's a couple, maybe you could say a handful of jobs in MLS that Vieira, I think would come back for, right? Cause he just got out of a job in Europe um, after coaching NYCFC for, I don't even know how many seasons he was in New York city. But I think there's a couple jobs that he would be willing to come back to MLS for. And I think Toronto and Atlanta are two of those jobs. But I think Atlanta is going to be filled by Gabriel Hines. So I think Patrick Vieira is going to be the guy in Toronto. Uh, I think, again, there's only a couple positions that he would be willing to come back for. I think Rachel mentioned that TFC is kind of this MLS super club right now, given going all these cup finals, uh, Champions League runs, which is crazy to think of where they were not too long ago. But I think... TFC is a position that Patrick Vieira would come back for in MLS, and I think he'll be the next manager of Toronto. Josh, what about you? I I also, I also, don't know too much about some of these other candidates that aren't Ben Olsen or Patrick Vieira. Uh, but, so having said that and looking at the three or four names around, I think Vieira is the best fit for TFC. He's already proven that he can play or that he can coach really well in MLS, and the league is so... It's so weird to to the people who don't know what it's like, you know, to outsiders of the league. I think what is it um 
of the last eight teams in MLS Cup playoffs this year, seven were domestic managers. So it just kind of shows that, like, in order to navigate MLS successfully, you have to either be from North America and know and have been brought up on it, or you have to already have a track record and experience. And Vieira is the best candidate of those names to me. Here's why I don't want trying to bring it to bring in Vieira. And I'm going to bring it back to, as we just mentioned, the David Villa situation. And I can't remember her last name, but Skylar, the woman who came out with the allegations. One of the things that they said in the article that really stuck out to me is Patrick Vieira, when he was the manager at NYCFC, he would come up to her and ask her, how are you doing? How are things? Things like that. Actually showing compassion, empathy, um, awareness of what was happening in his team and in the locker room and everything along those lines. And I think that would be really beneficial in Toronto. And I think that he and if they resign him, Justin Morrow, I think they should do, they could do some really, really good things in society. I think that on top of him being a good footballer and a good soccer mind, he'd be a really good person to have in the team. And I think that's just as important maybe a little bit less important than I'd say just as important as being a good manager is he needs to be a good person. And from the sounds of everything we've heard, he sounds like a good person. And I like that personally. Um, But I also wanted to circle back to some other things she said around the potential Toronto DPs and how she thinks it'll be a young European who hasn't been given an opportunity yet. And I know this is getting thrown on you very early and you haven't really been able to look into this, but who would you say could be a potential candidate? Do you have any players who immediately come to mind when you think about a young European who hasn't been given an opportunity? This is probably a bit more aimed at Josh because you follow it a bit closer, but both of you, is there anyone who sort of sticks out to you? Personally, I don't. I don't really know of of any players off the top of my head. The thing with young stars especially is they they seem to come out of nowhere. I know, you know, just from the recent couple of years with Atlanta United and some of these younger players that they, that they kind of find, you know, like I remember following on Twitter the first links with Barco a couple of years ago. And I was like, I've, I've never, you know, who is this kid? And then it leads you down the wormhole of, oh, okay, he played for Independiente. Okay, Independiente just won the Copa Sudamericana. It's like, what the heck are these things? So I can't really think of any young players, but as soon as some names come into the pipeline, I know I'll be learning and looking up and researching who this player is, where he's from, what makes him him, and, and you know, what 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 he's all about, what he can possibly bring to Toronto. So no no young players off the top of my head, um, e- even for Atlanta uh, by itself. Drew, do you have any thoughts on potential DP transfer for Toronto? No, I mean, like, it's funny that you mentioned Barco. I remember when they signed Joseph Martinez and Miguel Moran. I was like, I don't know who the heck these guys are. Um, who is this Lanus? I forgot. I think Joseph came from Italy. Uh, I forget the name of Torino. Torino, yeah. And it was like, we're expecting, you know, someone like Ibrahimovic to come on. But then they signed these guys, like, I don't know who this 
and I'm the wrong guy is, and now here we are in 2020, and he's like my favorite person on the planet right now. So I have no idea. Maybe they go to Europe, maybe they go to South America, go to stick with MLS Argentina connection, but if they go to Europe, um, a lot of countries, a lot of really good players that we probably don't even know of yet. So I have no idea of any young players, but I'm sure that once some names start getting leaked, like Josh said, you'll have more people freshening up on their young players from who knows where. Maybe they go to the Netherlands. Maybe they go to England, Spain, Germany, or wherever. But no no players stick out to mind when she first said that. My mind immediately went to the last two DPs they've brought in. Or, I guess, last four DPs. Pazuelo, we're not going to count Pietti on this list. Pazuelo came from... I'd say relative obscurity to most so- non-hardcore soccer fans playing in the Belgium League. Then we get to Michael Bradley, Josie Altador, Seba Giovinco. Seba went from Juventus, where he wasn't really being given an opportunity, to Toronto and exploded. Josie had sort of not exactly done incredibly in Europe, came to Toronto, kind of exploded. Michael Bradley went from a pretty decent career in Syria to MLS and exploded. I wonder if they're going to follow a similar makeup to that and go after a low to mid-20s player, potentially probably attacker, I assume winger based on everything they've done in the past, I wonder if that's what happens, but we will see. I do want to, one more TFC question before we sort of transition away. Do you think Iowa Canola will end up at Europe at some point, or do you think he will be similar to Jassy Zardes and be an MLS lifer? I could see either one happening. I think you draw a really good comparison with Jassy Zardes given the similar positions they play. And, I mean, Iacanola is showing a lot of promise right now. Um, granted, I don't know if TFC is going to want to let that player go. But, again, everyone has their price tag, right? If some Premier League team comes along offering 20 mil or something like Almiron, like it's going to be hard to turn that down, right? But I think to make a hot take, screw it, I'll say he, he, he ends up in Europe. Um, again, either way, I could see it. I kind of want to see him in Europe, uh, just to continue this MLS exporting thing. And especially if he does put on the U.S. crest and his cap tied, you always want to see players um, playing in these really good leagues. So I'll say he ends up in Europe, but again, either way. But my take, hot take on December 10th, 2020, is Iowa will end up in Europe at some point in his career. Josh, what do you think? I think given his current trajectory then yeah, he'll probably end up in Europe. I, th- I think it's also interesting because the league is in a different spot than it was you know, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, even 2 years ago. feels like there are a lot more eyes on MLS. We see that a lot now with players like Alfonso Davies and Weston McKinney and Reggie Cannon. These guys who come up in MLS academies or play with MLS teams, then they get their transfer over into Europe, and then they succeed in Europe. Gio Reyna, too. He's from NYCFC's academy. So I think at this point, Akinola's on the path to going to Europe just because this league has so many eyes on it. 
And if he continues to dominate the way he's shown us he can, I don't see why a team won't come after him from overseas. That being said, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, but so much could happen with these like U23s. Things could change really quickly. So whatever ends up happening, I just hope he continues to be the player he is, which is just so dominant. It's just so much fun to watch him just body dudes on the field. Like he's just like, it's like when it's like when you're like, you know, when you're like uh, you're like roughhousing with your dad, like when you're a little kid, right? Your dad is like three times bigger than you, and he can just pick you up and throw you in the air at will. Like I feel like Iwakanola could do that to anybody he goes up against. It's awesome. And he's been doing that from what I understand his entire career. Like he's been a big human being his entire career. So I highly doubt he loses that ability in terms of his physicality and his athleticism, which he's got the makings of a young Josie Altador, just a little bit better touch um, than what Josie has now. Uh, But I think it is an interesting question. Interesting question as well as what she brought up with Jaquille Marshall-Rudy and whether or not he'll end up in Europe and the fact that there are some very big clubs scouting him, which I wasn't aware of. So it's very it's going to be very, very interesting to see who the next Weston McKinney becomes because he has torn it up over the last two weeks for Juventus. Um, scored a goal against Barca, beautiful scissor kick. I don't know if either of you saw that game, did you? Not in his entirety, no. I don't think I got that game on TV, to be honest with you. Oh, that's weird. Josh, how about you? I caught some of it. Are we talking about Weston McKinney's goal now? Yes. Yeah, I, I saw the goal. The goal was, was awesome. I, I It was a little unfortunate because the timing of the goal, it was like right at the same time as the racial incident happening in PSG. Uh, Bessie? Uh, oh, you're right. Istanbul. Besiktasir. Yeah. Yeah. Istanbul Besiktasir. So, so I was kind of my my attention was diverted. I was like trying to keep up with like what the heck was going on in that game. So I didn't get to really like fully enjoy the McKinney goal in the moment. But man, what what a what a moment for the kid. I mean, this is like the this was the most watched. The 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 stats came out today, but this was like the most watched game on Univision in their history, like ever wow. any sporting event. And the previous high was the other Barca Juventus game. However, this one like was almost double the amount of viewers. So and it, it helps because you know Ronaldo and Messi are playing. But my point is for McKinney sure. to step up. Yeah. <laughs> Those nobodies. <laughs> for for Weston McKinney to step up in the way he did with all those eyes on him. I mean, gosh, I could I could cry right now. I'm so happy to be a U.S. soccer fan at this particular moment. So just, I mean, ma- major props to him. Like, that's just so freaking cool. And even the guys who aren't necessarily as well-known, Tim Weah scoring a goal today for Lille uh, in their match against Celtic, uh, which, amazing for him. Amazing. Yeah, I just saw a goal. I think it was, I didn't, I, I doubt I got that game on TV too. I just saw a highlight on Twitter, but it was a solid set piece, kind of fell to him. He took it on the volley. Um, it was a good goal. Like you said, I mean, it just feels like every time he gets on the field, something bad happens and it feels like nothing kind of breaks his way. So to have this moment, have a really good goal was pretty awesome to see. Yeah. And that nobody Gio Reyna scoring goals too. Banger. That was awesome. Yeah. The best part about his goal was that it was on, was it Saturday? 
And so he scored, McKinney scored for Juventus, his first goal that day, and then Pulisic scored for Chelsea that day. So to have those three scoring goals in these major leagues on the same day, across three different leagues too, it's just, that was, it was a good day. It was a good day. Good day in U.S. soccer Twitter, as was yesterday, where the U.S. played El Salvador's national team, although it looked not quite like two national teams playing each other, uh, because wow, El Salvador was not good, is probably putting it mildly, Um what did you guys think of that El Salvador game? Because the U.S. did that with, I'm pretty sure, zero European talent on their roster. Yeah, I mean, I just, I can't learn anything about that game, right? It was just, it was good to see certain players, good to see Iarcanola get a start, get a goal. It's good to see Brendan Aronson get a goal. Um, yeah, I mean, I just can't take anything away from that game because El Salvador was just, so bad, and I think it honestly should have been worse than six. I think you someone put in the outline that Mark McKenzie got a cold taken away, which when they showed a replay, I don't think he was offside. I think I should have counted. So it's just I can't take anything away from that game, um, except it's good. Like you play the teams you're supposed to beat, and you beat them really good, beat them really handedly. So I mean that was good. It was good to see Akinola get a start. I think we had a talk about whether or not he starts or plays. So to see him start um, and get a goal was awesome. But there was just some moments when El Salvador's defense was just so bad. And I just, I can't take anything away from that game. Um, but again, I mean, it was a team you were supposed to beat 6 nothing, And you beat them 6-7, so that was good. Um, but I can't, I mean, the game it was just so hard to learn anything about that game. It was just good to see MLS players on the field together. Uh, Josh, did you have any takeaways from that beatdown of El Salvador last night? I think... I think I take away more than most people, and what I mean by that is it's great to see these young MLS players out there. That was the biggest thing for me. It was, you know, looking at the, whatever the lineup graphic is, it was like a 4-3-3, right? And you had, so you had Bill Hamid and goal, veteran player. Along the back line, you had just Aaron Long. In the midfield, you had just Sebastian Lejet. And in the front three, you just had Paul Ariola. The rest were like these U23 kids. So to get them all in the field. And, and the other thing that really made me happy is they look organized. They look super organized. And I don't think enough people are talking about that. We've had so many problems with Burhalter, Burhalter and what he's done with his personnel and the way he's approached games. But what you're seeing is teams that are playing the same way without that without that fluency of player personnel. The only two players on this roster from November are Sebastian Legett and Sebastian Soto. That's weird. Sebastian, guy's name is Sebastian. But, Sebastian Seth. Yeah. So for, for the team to basically look the same in the way it plays was a really impressive team. Another thing that stood out to me from the game is just about every time it, I, I said to myself, man, this is getting stale, they're passing the ball back and forth, bam, a player would play an attacking ball, a creative ball. And it was like, it was just so great to see it, and especially as an Atlanta United fan where they just have no creativity whatsoever right now. It was just great to see these kids step up in the moment and say, you know what, like, it's time. It's time to get forward. It's time to attack right now. They're just taking advantage of what was in front of them. So... I, I was really pleased by that. And then some of the other young guys, like uh, Julian Araujo, who I'm really big on, 
for him to get some time and to play well, for Brendan Aronson to get more time with the national team, huge. Obviously, Chris Miller was phenomenal. So I, I'm I'm very excited, although, yes, it was a really bad team they played. What I, My biggest takeaway from that game was just how good Chris Miller was. He looked incredible. Like, that diving header was insane. Insane. Uh, and I think that was a huge... Like, that's huge that you pull somebody from... I'd say relative obscurity to a lot of people because he isn't a star on Orlando. Like, he's one of their good players, but he's not their star. And he's able to do that? That's really impressive. And it's just showed how much depth this U.S. team has. They've been able to take a ton of young players from one single league and put up what I think is a pretty good team. And that's ignoring what the talent that they have in Europe, which when we which we saw in the Europe, uh, the Wales game is also very good. So I think they'll make a lot of noise in the Olympics and potentially World Cup because this team is young. This team is feisty. It still has that little bit of veteran experience to keep the team grounded. I think U.S. can make some serious, serious news and moves in the future. Do you disagree with me or? No, I'm on the right. I just like kind of talk about the depth you had. I think it's worth mentioning that Daryl DK did not play. It was either injury or COVID related. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was a hamstring. Injury, okay. Yeah. Okay, awesome. And I think all three of us on the podcast were super excited to see him play. Um, That was unfortunate. And then you talked about players in Columbus and Seattle final, Jordan Morris, Jossie's artist, Christian Roldan, that we just didn't get because they have kind of bigger fish to fry with this MLS Cup final. So, like you said, Connor, there's it's exciting to see these MLS players stand up, especially Chris Mueller, because that was, again, I think he had a really solid MLS is back and a solid 2020 season as a whole. And to see him put the crest on and do really well, um, Two goals and an assist, if I'm correct, and honestly could have had a hat trick, but he assisted on Akinola's goal. So, yeah, just speaking about that depth, I mean, it could have been between injuries and guys playing MLS Cup, uh, just kind of there's pieces that we didn't get to see that are also really exciting. Yeah, too. I was a huge fan of that selflessness to give that goal to Akinola, uh, although I wish he didn't get it because it would have made his experience with the U.S. national team a little bit worse, which would have made it better for the Canadian national team. Uh, but... I won't complain. I love seeing the Toronto boys succeed. and I'm sure, as you saw on social media, he was very happy, and I love the goal celebration afterwards, taking the knee and raising a fist, which was sort of a theme in soccer after that situation in the PSG-Basikshire game. Uh, but let's transition to MLS and these past week's games. Which game do you two want to start with? Columbus, New England. All right. Columbus is going to the MLS Cup final. What else is there to say? Drew, what were your thoughts on the Columbus-New England match? Yeah, I mean, I think it was not the most exciting of the two games, which I know we will talk about later. Um I mean, yeah, I think Columbus was the deserved winner first. I thought their goal was really good. I thought it was a really good team goal. I forgot who laid off um, the ball to set up that goal, but really big fan of that. Um, 
Yeah, I thought Matt Turner. Matt Turner's kind of getting a lot of attention lately because he's playing really good with the ribs. I thought he came up with a couple of pretty good saves. But, yeah, I mean, Columbus, it's interesting because I feel like as we've talked about the crew this whole season going to MLS's back and then as games resumed and regular season started, it felt like at one point the conversation was Columbus is the best team in the league. And then that kind of fell off with Toronto running away with it, Philadelphia running away with it, that we kind of forgot that Columbus was as good as they were. Um, but obviously here they are in MLS Cup, their second one in like five years when they hosted Portland in 2015, and they're hosting it again, um, which is just an incredible story just given that there were questions about whether or not the team would exist or not a couple of years ago. So I thought it was a deserved result. I thought Matt Turner could only do so much. He made some good saves. But I thought Columbus was the better team. New England had their chances. I think Buxa hit the post once. And there were some opportunities that I don't think they put away as well as they could have. But I thought Columbus was the deserved winner. Um, yeah, so I'm excited about it. Excited to see Columbus host another MLS Cup final here in a couple days. But I thought 1-0 was a pretty fair scoreline. And I thought they were the better team. So I think the result was deserved. Uh, Josh, what did you think about Columbus winning the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I, I didn't get to watch a whole lot of this game. And kind of like you said, it didn't seem like much really ended up happening. Uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, Columbus overall, they're just the better team. I, I want to say, you know, if New England had spent most of the season with a healthy Gustavo Bo and healthy Carlos Heel, they might have been a little better prepared for this kind of moment. A little, a little better cohesion among the team, and so I'm, I'm sure that there was no benefit of that, obviously, of, of missing their star players for such large chunks of the season. But I mean, in the end, Columbus, who've battled their own injuries, I guess, and they've been dealing with that COVID outbreak as well. You know, props to them for, for coming through, and you know, kind of like you said, Drew, you, they were favorites for a while and then kind of fizzled out a little bit, and now here they are back and they've made their way back in Tamil's Cup. So uh, really cool for them. I think it's great to see such fast results for a team that, I mean, they're only in their second year of this of this era with Caleb Porter and, you know, players like Darlington Nagby and Artur and all that stuff being together. So really exciting for them. Excited to see what they'll do against Seattle. But, uh, yeah, not, not much, I, I don't think, to really take away from um, – from this particular game. I think one really cool storyline, not about this game, but going into the cup final, is if I'm remembering my coaching right, I think Caleb Porter was the coach of Portland yep, he when was. the Timbers won that, and Nagby was on the team, which I distinctly remember that cup final because all the terrible goals that happened and the borderline really bad officiating, but I digress. But I think that's just a cool story that Caleb Porter is back at a cup final at Columbus against a Cascadia team, but he's on the other side of it this time, and maybe they get the job done. We'll see if he can make Columbus's dreams come true, and quite a story, which we'll dive into a little bit more when we preview Seattle versus Columbus uh, from where they were two years ago and to where they are now. Um, But do you have anything you want to add to the Columbus-New England match, or do you want to start talking about that unbelievable finish uh, against... Against between Seattle and Minnesota. Let's dive right in. It was a fun one. That is a very good way of putting it. Um, <laughs> wow. 
Actually, no, it wasn't fun. I was so mad at that result. I was a thousand percent pulling for Minnesota United. <laughs> but beside that, it was. Hey, a fun I was one. pulling for Minnesota too, and it was so much fun. Man, I was because as when they went up 2-0, I was like, I'm just imagining the loons walking into that beautiful soccer specific stadium in Minnesota. Thousands of people in that loon noise blaring through the speakers, like. Uh, Reynoso lifting MLS Cup as Wonderwall blares through the whole city. Uh, it would have been beautiful. But instead, we get Seattle back at it. Same old storyline. But it was fun, but I'm still I'm still salty about Minnesota. But yeah, let's get right into it. It was an incredible finish, is probably putting it mildly, with what Seattle did in the final 10 minutes. Uh, Minnesota led for a pretty good chunk of the match but yeah what what was going through your mind when Seattle started coming back I mean I guess just like here we go again <laughs> you know I mean I thought cause like what was it the 75th minute I think they got that first goal and then from there it was just an onslaught um I remember I'm trying to like remember the exact. I remember Jordan Morris had a really good chance where he just whacked the crap out of a ball and hit the post. I I physically but, screamed when he did that because I thought that was going in. I thought that was going to be. He destroyed that thing. Just crushed that post. It was so loud. That, when that ball hit that post, bang! That was so loud. But I mean, when they started, because again, like going to Minnesota, I mean, it was hard to. I didn't. I think I picked Minnesota to win this game um, just because MLS is crazy and there's no reason Minnesota should have won. But it when they went up 2-0, I think that was the first time I was fully convinced that they were going to go into Seattle and win that game. And I think probably the biggest, not probably, I think the biggest win in that franchise's history. Um, and when they got that, when Seattle got the first goal, I thought that it was, it was going to be interesting. Um, and then absolute horrible defending on a set piece when you have one of the greatest goal scorers in this league's history just not defended by anybody which is literally the one guy when you get to a set piece there's a couple of guys on that team that you specifically ask where is he and Raul Ruiz Diaz is one of them and to let him that wide open I don't understand how that happens and then it happens again on a set piece and it feels like set pieces are such a big deal in soccer even more of a big deal when it's MLS Cup playoffs and it's these one-off games. But when they got that first one, I knew they were, everyone knew they weren't going to go down without a fight. Seattle's just too good, and it's in Seattle. So they were going to pull up a fight. Um, I just didn't think that they were actually going to finish the fight. I thought they would maybe score one, and Minnesota would hold on for dear life, maybe get one on the counter because Seattle just threw the kitchen sink at them. But it worked, and... Here we are again, Seattle back in the final. It would be like the fourth in the last five years. So it's just the most Seattle Sounders thing ever to somehow come back to the final after you're down 2-0 in the 75th minute at home to Minnesota. Who's to blame for that loss? Honestly, I don't think you can really pin it on anyone. I I mean, seriously, I I know that's kind of like a cop-out answer. But at the end of the day, it's not like Minnesota played... A bad game they, they didn't I mean they played a good game it's just you can't stop a Seattle team like this where they've been through the crap already you know like they've been through this so many times at this point that 
I don't want to say like they could be on autopilot. I, I don't think that's the right term, but it's it's like they've they've got this muscle memory when it comes to playoffs where they know what to do. They know what it takes to win a championship. So at the end of the day, it's not so much that like Minnesota lost the game or that anyone should be faulted. It's just that Seattle won the game. You know, like they came back and they took care of business. So yeah, you know, the defending was, was crappy on those two set piece goals specifically, but you know, I'm right. Props to Minnesota for playing well. Just don't know what you can do against a team like Seattle. And on that first goal, I think that was just a really bad break for Minnesota. Because if I remember correctly, someone took a shot, it deflected, it fell right to Seattle's feet, as, and he put it away. As you were talking about um, the game, so. I, I had to go back and look at that goal because I was like, I can't remember what happened with Seattle's first goal. Like, what what it was it? And you're right. It just, like, Rui Diaz shot it. It bounced into Will Bruin and then off a Minnesota player, and then Will Bruin scored. It's almost like... That fluky moment led to the momentum that Seattle needed to come back, and it was almost like a it's like it's a moment of fate from the so- soccer gods. Unfortunately, it was quite the finish, uh, and that will definitely go down as one of the more insane final fifteen minutes. I think of a match uh, with Seattle putting up those three goals, and it'll be interesting to see how Minnesota rebound this off season, and whether they make any sort of big changes. Uh, because I saw on social media, specifically Twitter, people were pinning it on like the loss on the players, but also on Heath. And it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do and whether or not they keep the band back together to push for another trophy uh, because they've found a gem in Emmanuel Reynoso and... We'll see whether or not they can continue to capitalize with Kevin Molino. But let's preview MLS Cup, which, as you are listening to this, is tonight. We're uploading this podcast Saturday morning. Who do you guys think will win this match? It is Columbus at home with Seattle having to travel. I... I am going, originally I wanted to say 2-1 Seattle, and then I was like, no, Seattle's better than that. So then I thought in my head, okay, I'll go 3-1 Seattle. But you know what? No, 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 no. I am going draw, 1-1 or 2-2 draw, to send this thing into extra time. And I think it's going to go to PKs. Because what would be more MLS than, than these guys going into PKs? That being said, I would be a fool not to pick Seattle to eventually come out on top. So I think I'm going to have to go to Seattle. But I I don't know. This seems like the kind of game that can somehow end in a draw and go into all this extra time. Does or does not Stefan Fry get a red card in those penalties? No, because every single player in MLS now understands what the rules are, even those who don't play goalkeeper. If a player, if one of the keepers is going in with a yellow card, do they pull him and swap no, him out? No, I think you just... You, you know they're working on that stuff this week, like goalkeepers and whatever their training is. Like You know they're practicing staying on the line. It's risky, though, with the new rules, but Drew, who is your prediction before we dive in who, into who we think the favorites are? Um, I, I, I went back and forth on this as I was reading stuff and looking back, you know, the conference championships and 
just the team's playoff runs and how they got here. And I go back and forth. I think this is going to be a close one. I think I might go with Josh. I think this is going to extra time. I don't know about penalties, but maybe extra time. I don't know. Um, but I am going to say that Seattle is going to win 3-2. to two. I think it comes down, it's going to be some corner kick, whether or not it's the same defending we saw with Minnesota and Raul Ruiz Diaz is left wide open or someone gets, it's going to be like Shane O'Neill gets the game winner on a corner kick that everyone's focusing on. Um, Raul Ruiz Diaz, Jordan Morris, Nico Ladero, and it's going to be something like Shane O'Neill getting a header in to win it. So I think Seattle gets a couple corner goals here and there, and I think they win three to two. And I'll, I'll say extra time. I think they'll they'll take it extra time, but I think Seattle wins three two on a couple corner kicks. Will Eli Room be back for this match? That is interesting because I think he was questionable for the Eastern Conference Final, and to me the backup played well. I totally am blanking on the backup keeper's name. He kept the shutout against New England. Um, so I mean, I thought he did as good as he could do as a backup keeper, but Eli Room, I think, as we've talked about has kind of made a name for himself here lately, and it sucks that it's your starting goalkeeper is questionable given the COVID situation in the cup final, one of the biggest games in your franchise's history. But, I mean, I thought the backup did well against New England. Well, the reason I say that is I think Eli Room could make up for some of the issues that Columbus may have in terms of handling Jordan Morris and Raul Rui Diaz. So, I'm going to say... Columbus, if Eli Room plays, and I think they grind it out like one nothing. It's going to be one of those matches where it's just terrible. But if we, Eli Room doesn't play, I think Seattle win this like three to one. I think it's going to be similar to last year with Toronto, where one mistake by uh, Columbus will really, really hurt. Uh, hurt Columbus and Seattle will capitalize on that but it's going to be a very interesting end to the season and it is Saturday night 8 p.m eastern and in honor of Adrian Heath I want to get your thoughts on who the favorite is (laughs) who's coming in as the underdog no, both of them. Both Columbus of them? is the underdog, I think. <laughs> that's how it works. Columbus, the team with more points. Yes, that's that means nothing. What, because Seattle didn't and play And home it, field that advantage. That means nothing. They don't even have that much of a crowd. All right. Well, Columbus, you have the added boost of being the underdog. T- t- so. Team that's been to four of the last five MLS Cups versus a team that hasn't been to an MLS Cup at all in that span. You know, I, I don't I think it's... What are you talking about? They've only been to one of the last, or two of the last five. I don't remember two of those. Seattle? Yeah, I don't remember them going to the final twice. I don't remember who they beat. I've pushed that. That, that no longer exists in my brain. Ooh, some, someone's getting some selective amnesia. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll see whether or not Seattle can do what has it been done before in going back-to-back. No, they... There's been three teams. It's DC United have won back to back. LA Galaxy has won back to back, and Houston actually has won back to back. Yeah, they won back in like 0708, I think it was. Uh, that's when I think they had Dwayne De Rosario, so that would explain it. Who made the top 25 MLS players list, which we're not going to talk about because it's stupid. Um, but 
maybe we'll talk on a talk about it on a future podcast when we have nothing to talk about because MLS will be in the offseason for three months. Um, but again, this is just an exciting time for MLS. It's an exciting time for soccer. Our next episode will be a MLS Cup reaction video, or not video, reaction podcast, and we will preview Austin's draft, which is next week. But do either of you have any thoughts on the Seattle-Columbus game before we move on to our players and goals of the week? I just wanted to add in, we'll also be talking about Champions League games. True, because those are happening. Yep. Those still exist. Atlanta United, for some godforsaken reason, has to play a game in the next seven days. That's fun, though. You get to see your team again one last time without a manager. I don't know if I want to see this team one last time. Like, I think I'll just go ahead and take the flyer on to 2021. <laughs> We're basically playing this game negative three to nothing to start. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's definitely going to be interesting <laughs> to see what happens in Champions League. Um, but we will talk about that next week, I think, because we've been going for an hour 15 um, so far. So let's do our players and goals of the week. Let's start off with the one that I forgot to add to the doc. Player of the week. Josh, you have one prepared. So who is your player of the the week. Yeah, I am going with Emmanuel Babelo Reynoso, the Argentine number 10 for Minnesota United. He put up some of the craziest numbers I think I've ever seen. Uh, I think it was the last 12 goals, he recorded 11 assists and then scored the other one. The only goal he didn't assist on was his own. So, like, I just can't even wrap my mind around what that is. And then in the playoffs alone, the guy assisted slash scored eight. So that, and they only spent $5 million on him, which is a big deal for Minnesota United. Don't get me wrong, but compared to all these other players that come into MLS and the the fees that some teams, Atlanta, uh, kind of waste their money on for Minnesota to spend just 5 million and to already have this rate of return. Like I know things can happen and maybe he might not pan out long-term, but Boy, he has given Loon's supporters something they will never forget. All right, Drew, who is your player of the week? Yeah, I was kind of scrapping, trying to get something together here, but I just thought of one. Uh, I'm going to say Will Bruin of the Seattle Sounders because he got the first one that kind of opened the floodgates, I thought, and it was only about two minutes after he got on the field as a substitute and came in, got the first goal, and... We know what happened next, so it wasn't your normal Rui Diaz or Ladero or Jordan Morris getting that first goal. It was Will Bruin the substitute. So Will Bruin is my player of the week. Connor, who did you have as your player of the week for these conference finals? I am going to go outside of MLS, but keep it in North America. I'll allow it. Go for it. <laughs> You'll allow it. Okay. I will go with Chris Mueller because I thought he was incredible against El Salvador. And two goals and an assist is nothing to laugh at, and he probably should have had a hat trick. But that is my player of the week. If we make it MLS-related, I will go Artur, simply because he scored the goal that put Columbus through to the MLS Cup final. Goals of 
the week. I will let you two go first for this. So again, um, Josh, how about you go first? I picked Gustav Svensson and his game winner uh, for Seattle. Not a flashy goal or anything, but you know, for those of us watching the game happen live, it was you definitely had some feelings about it. I'll say that whether or not you were happy, shocked, sad, angry, whatever your your reaction was, probably elicited a strong one. So that's my uh, my goal of the week. I think that. I get to say this is my goal of the week just because I might have beaten you guys to the punch is putting in the outline, but I'm not sure if I did or not. But I went with Reynoso's free kick goal against Seattle. And I want to say, I think they pulled up a graphic that it was the first direct free kick goal in Minnesota United's MLS history, which is pretty awesome that it came in the Western Conference final in Seattle. But I don't think Loon's fans would like to remember that because they know what happens during that game and blowing a 2 nothing lead. But nonetheless, it was a pretty awesome goal. Like Josh said, he is giving very exciting things to look forward to in Minnesota, given only $5 million Because I think they paid $8 million for Miguel Amaron in Atlanta. And we saw how good that worked out. And Reynoso is giving even more rate of return very fast than Amaron did. So that was exciting. So I went with his free kick goal against Seattle. It was a good one. Came out of nowhere. I thought there's no way this is fine in the back of the net. And he did it because he's Renoso and he can do what he wants lately. Uh, Connor, who is your, what was your goal of the week this week? I am sticking international and I'm going with Paul Ariola's goal because it was really good to see him finally score one after everything he's got, had to go through this season with the torn ACL and battle back from that injury. So, I'm giving my goal of the week to him because it was also quite a good finish, uh, making sure Io didn't take it and just hitting a missile uh, past the keeper. So I'm giving my goal of the week to Paul Ariola. Do any of you two have anything you want to say before we wrap up? Before I thank Rachel again, <laughs> and then I let Drew do the outro um, because. We really appreciated Rachel coming on. We will have her on again in the future. Uh, I want to talk some more soccer with her, and I want you all to check out her stuff because she's very, very talented, and if you're into hockey, she is someone who is going to do great things in the hockey world uh, in the future. I can guarantee you that. So keep an eye out on her. Check out the Staff and Graph podcast because it's a great podcast, especially if you're in a hockey analytics, and I'm involved with it. Um, but go check that out. I will link that as well in the description of the podcast, which I don't believe I can just paste a link. You'll have to copy it and paste it into your search bar, uh, but it will be there. So please go and check that out. Drew, take us out. Yeah, thanks again, as usual, guys, for sticking around as we talk about all things MLS, U.S. men's national team, and just the fun world of soccer that we are in. We really do appreciate it. Um, again, as usual, be sure to visit the website, MLSMultiplex.com, as our writers are cranking out really good stuff ahead of the cup final. Um, and as our team's off-seasons are starting and transfer rumors, coaching rumors are coming in and out, our writers are doing an awesome job 
of keeping up to date on that. So visit the website, MLSMultiplex.com. Uh, be sure to follow the website on Twitter at MLSMultiplex, as well as myself at underscore Drew Hubbard, Josh at Josh underscore Boland, and Connor at CWG Somerville. And if you want to give Rachel a follow on Twitter to hear her soccer and hockey takes, you can find her at Rachel Dory. Um, on Twitter just for her fun takes. So be sure to give her a follow and check out all the things she has on Twitter. Uh, spelled, I should say how you spell Rachel Dory because it's not like the fish. It's D-O-E-R-R-I-E if you want to follow her on Twitter. But Drew finished us off. <laughs> there you go. She's a good follow. She knows her hockey and she knows her soccer. We're so big fans. Again, thanks a million to Rachel for hopping on the show. And thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we are excited for next week's episode, talking all things MLS Cup Final and reviewing what is going to end the crazy and wacky 2020 MLS season. So thanks again for tuning in, guys, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.